Last week, Bishop Caggiano issued a pastoral exhortation. He wrote that the time is now and the mission is urgent. We need to renew the church and he has a comprehensive plan to implement over the next nine months in order to try to re-engage the people around us in the mission of the gospel. The exhortation is titled, Let Us Go Forth from the Upper Room, and he's going to explain it all today on Let Me Be Frank. So keep your radio right here. We're at 1350 AM or 103.9 FM. Or keep listening on your phone on the Veritas mobile app. If somehow you still don't have the app, go to the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com and download the Veritas Catholic mobile app today. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. During this Advent season, we hold up a light to the St. Francis Xavier Fund for Missionary Parishes. This fund strives to alleviate the financial burdens of urban churches that exhibit strong leadership and outstanding missionary outreach. This partnership empowers pastors to focus on ministries instead of issues with their facilities. To support this essential work, please visit foundationsinfaith.org to donate. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. All right, I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure as always to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, good morning, my friend. We are on our way to Christmas. It's great. <laughs> Cannot believe it. <laughs> oh, it's, 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 yeah. I mean, I should start my shopping soon. I guess, I guess. Yeah. What Don't, supply chain issues? <laughs> no, no need to panic. No need to panic. You know, oh, yeah. and, and you haven't slowed down. I mean, I know last week you released a pastoral exhortation following mm-hmm. up on one you issued earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I read it over the weekend and it is jam packed full of great ideas. Um, mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about it today. It's so packed full of stuff that I'm afraid we're going to run out of time today trying to cover everything. <laughs> well, I would say this. I think for many people who are busy and are more like, say, audio or visually inclined, the video that accompanies this is more of the vision. And sometimes when you issue a pastoral exhortation like this, you could get lost in the details but not necessarily spend enough time on the big picture. And the big picture for me is one of hope that coming out of this time of suffering and even in the midst of it, because I do think that it's probably going to get worse before it gets better in this particular moment we're living with the Omicron variant. Yeah. Yeah. But even that should not prevent us from beginning a mission out safely, prudently, courageously. But we can't wait for this thing to disappear because I'm not sure it's ever going to fully disappear. Right? Yes. Like the flu has not disappeared, even though in the Spanish flu, there were millions who died, but we've had it since. And, and I don't know what that means, but we, the, the renewing the church is too compelling an issue for us to just say, well, we're going to wait until it gets better because I'm not sure what that when that day is. We just have to be prudent, right? Yes, safe right. about what we do. Yeah, but it's a, it's a it's a it's a vision of hope. You know, it's a vision of hope. And Advent is the perfect season to talk about hope, isn't it? It was issued on the solemnity of Our Lady's Immaculate Conception because everything we do is entrusted to Our Lady, who was a woman of hope, who knew suffering. And yet she went out in mission. And she was the one who supported the apostles in the upper room. So we should not ever forget the apostles did what they did in part because they had the Holy Spirit imparted upon them and part because they had the maternal love and, 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 and protection of Our Lady. And I often wonder, I often wonder how, how often in their mission, missionary work did they wind their way back to visit Our Lady? Hmm. You know, it's like the question when John Paul raised that caused such a speculation about our Lord after his resurrection visiting his mother. And of course, it's not in the sacred scripture. And people say, well, you know, how do you know that? Well, you don't, but you intuit if the Lord, once he rose, 
I, wouldn't you go visit your mother? I mean, yeah. honestly. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, it's, and it's a private moment. It need not be in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Imagine what that was like. Imagine watching that happen. But then I kind of, in my mind, even when I wrote this, I thought to myself, you know, how many times did the apostles go to Ephesus? Right, because John cared for Our Lady. Mm-hmm. But just to visit. Yeah. Because she, in many ways, was the living, historic, personal connection to the Lord yeah. as his mother. So that gives me great consolation. Anyway, so you want to talk about this exhortation? Yes, let's jump in. Where would you like to start? Well, watch the video, everyone. Watch the video, seven minutes. And they did a beautiful job with the Christmas scene, really, I have to tell you. If that doesn't win an Emmy, I don't know what will. That was like... <laughs> Anyway. It's on the diocesan website, and we'll also provide a link in the show notes here. Yeah, right. So what is it that I'm asking people to consider? All right, let's go back to less to Lent. The first part of this exhortation, if you recall, was a very simple request. And the simple request was, let us use the time we have now, much of it spent in a way different than we normally do, alone, apart from work, at least our work environment, Mm -hmm. sometimes with family and friends alone, to spend it by discovering the inner room, or what I call the upper room, that personal place where we sit with the Lord Jesus. And to use it to grow in our love and our faith, and our hope in Jesus Christ. So it was almost like spiritual boot camp. That was really what I was asking. For this moment, to be able to go out. And if you recall, I asked people to spend time praying over the scriptures, to spend time in adoration, to make their way back to the celebration of Mass. And happily, about 40-some-odd thousand are back at Mass, 45,000, 44,000 at Sunday Mass. And that number is slowly rising. And as for those who read it and used that time of prayer, I, have to, I would venture to say a lot of us spent much more time in prayer because we actually had the time that was not being pressed on by so many other things that normally happen in your life and mine. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I want our listeners to to remember is that's the foundation. So there's never a time you stop doing that. You can't have a first floor without a foundation or a basement. Otherwise, the building collapses. So please don't understand that if you started to do that, now let's go out. No, you're going to keep doing that. And to the extent that you have time and the, the desire and, and you feel that you're capable to do this, then you go out on mission. And this is the, the outlining of what that looks like. And the, the image that I use is, it's, it's a basic premise, and we've talked about this in different ways. And that is, when you, you look at the world in which the apostles preached and taught, and socialized, administered, and created the early communities. In many ways, it's very different, but in many ways, it's very similar to our own age. And that is a sobering thought. You know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And I outline on the first section of the pastoral exhortation some of my thoughts on what the similarities are. And I would welcome people's comments, right? They can comment on our website here from the podcast. I'd be, I would love to hear people's thoughts. Do they think I'm on target? Do they not? Do they see other similarities? Do they think maybe some of my similarities may be a bit forced? Because it's one man's opinion. It's one man's perspective. But there are three characteristics. The first is that the Roman age and the apostolic age was marked with very different competing philosophies, value systems, and thoughts on how to live life. That led to a lot of confusion. One could even say chaos, which then led to the philosophies that cater to gratification 
kind of leading the pack. So we've all heard horror stories about the Roman emperors and their conduct. But it was an age that was very materialistic, that was sexually very permissive, that was skewed towards favoring the affluent, the aristocrats, and the rich, right? And that confusion, concophony, is what the apostles walked into, right? The second piece, and that I think is similar to our age. Yes. The second is in community, right? So the Roman Empire the genius of the Roman Empire, one of them was they they, there was military conquest of a large portion of the known world. But the Romans allowed the local individuals, the local cultures to kind of be on their own, more or less. Right? So they didn't impose too much. But the fact that they were present and these individual cultures always were being taxed and in some ways being asked to give to the needs of the larger empire, put strains on communities. Right? So just as there was a, a, a concophony of views, then authentic, what I call authentic human community that's based on friendship, that's based on mutual respect and dialogue and love, that was hampered and in some cases didn't exist at all. Many of those communities were just exhausted. <laughs> they were just exhausted. And when you look at the demands on life, there is no Roman Empire, but human community, to form authentic community around friendship and dialogue, it seems to be under duress in our modern world as well. For different reasons, but the same results. Okay. And then the last piece is, the Roman Empire um, perfected the art of ignoring people and classes of people when it was at its best and at its worst, it was persecuting individuals, including Christians who didn't fit uh, the philosophy that the emperors and the aristocrats wanted. So you had a whole slew of people whose questions they didn't care about people who either cost them too much money or didn't fit, and therefore they were either tossed aside or persecuted. And again, that resonates in my heart for modern world. We don't do it as blatantly, but it's the same thing. Yeah, for sure. So in those three areas, now, does that seem reasonable from your perspective, Steve? Yeah, I, and like you said, we talked about this in the past, and yeah, I totally see all of those parallels between that time and this time. And... <clears throat> the Christians made such an impact because they were so counter to that kind of culture. Mm -hmm. And you've said, and I agree and follow wholeheartedly, we need to do it the same way. Right. So then what did the apostles do? To each of those areas, they came in with a specific task. So with the concophony of values and opinions and philosophies and questions and all of this chaos, they went in and they taught and they preached the gospel with clarity and conviction. And they taught the kerygma. Hmm. That's a very important point, which we'll get to in a second. The second is they formed small communities that really were communities based on friendship and respect, uh, communities that were truly loving families that were comprised of the people, believers of the household of faith, and they held them together around this, this notion that it's the Lord who is the head of each of these communities. And then the third was they've reached out to those that society had left behind. The apostles reached out particularly to women that the Roman Empire had disvalued and treated horribly, mm -hmm. to the poor and to the neglected. And they engaged people with their questions, such as St. Paul, in the Areopagus, asking questions and inviting responses and in dialoguing with people in their real life. So they went in and, and had a, um, a recipe to address those three areas. And my contention, simple contention, is we should do the same thing in the 21st century. In an appropriate way for our age, do the same thing. Teach and preach the gospel and the kerygma 
We should try to build up our communities of faith and we should outreach to those who feel that questions are not being answered or have been left behind. Simple as that, that's the mission. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, the devil's in the details, how do you do it? And when a person reads this exhortation, the one thing I do not want them to do is say, okay, we're gonna create a program to do this and we're gonna, the diocese is gonna create initiatives to do this and we're going to do some other outreach to do this because that's the wrong starting point. I want a person to read this and ask themselves, how do I teach and preach the gospel? How do I build up my own community of faith? How do I reach out to those left behind? Because the apostles didn't delegate it and set it at headquarters. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> they did it. Yep. So, before we talk about the initiatives that we may create on the Dawson level, let me ask you a question, right? You're a man of faith. How does Steve Lee teach and preach the gospel with clarity and conviction? It starts, it starts with um, trying to live the right way so that people see me or other Christians and say, gosh, something's different here. What is it? And that right. opens the door to all the rest of it. Right. Tremendous. A plus. <laughs> it's say what you mean and live what you say. And that has to be all based on your response to the charisma of Jesus Christ. Now, let's dive into that water, for example. If you go on social media and we're fighting the wars within the church... Those wars are being fought in part, in part, because we are not, we are not raising the fundamental question first. And the fundamental question is the one Jesus asks of his apostles. Who do you say that I am? The kerygma answers that question. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You are the savior and redeemer in whose death and resurrection you have given me forgiveness of sins and everlasting life, period. That, my dear friend, has been lost in many circles of Christianity. So we talk about the doctrines of the faith, which are super important. But if you are not, you are not in a relationship with the Lord who is your savior, who you acknowledge has a claim on your life that colors every aspect of your life. If you, don't, if you and I do not look upon the face of the crucified Christ and say, Lord, I am a sinner, save me from my sins. And you have in your death, one drop of that blood saved all creation. If we're not doing that first, then all this other stuff is noise. It's the fifth floor without a fourth, second, third, first and basement. So why do I say that? It's because when you have met people, have you not in your life, that have heard the kerygma? You know it, you know it. They may not be able to quote you the catechism, but they know it, you know it. Yeah. Because Jesus is not, Jesus is alive. It's, 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 he's alive to them. They don't talk, they don't talk about him. They talk from experience with him, right? They're joyful, they're patient, they're forgiving, not because the catechism tells them to, but because the Lord whispers it to them in, the heart, in their heart because they walk with him every day. I mean, I don't want to get too, I mean, I don't want to work myself up too much, but that's, every Christian is called to have that. We don't have to create a program to do that. And you may say, how does that happen? It's just the first part of the exhortation. That's where it happens. 
It happens by struggling in prayer, spending long hours before the Lord and not hearing anything back until he speaks when you least expect it. It's like it is, it's sitting before the scriptures and sitting long enough until the scriptures begin to speak to you rather than you speak about them. It's sitting in the silence of a church or of your bedroom or of your garage or in your car. And suddenly, when you least expect it, Christ is no longer just an historic figure, but he's there. He's there. You know it. You know it. You feel it in your heart. You can, it, 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 it's, that happens in that first part. And then this exhortation is saying, if this is happening in your life, stay there. And then allow that to begin to change your behavior so that you do what you say and that you're not afraid to say why you do the things you do that your faith becomes something that you talk about freely, not because you want to be a holy roller, but because it's your life. Yeah. Yep. And that's the, that's so, even if COVID keeps us still in our house, this part you, we can all do. Yeah. Right? Excellency, I just want to um, hit pause on something because we keep talking about the kerygma, K-E-R-Y-G-M-A. And it just occurred to me that there might be some folks listening who don't know exactly what that word means. It is the message of salvation. It is the message offered from the, by the apostles and all their successors throughout the ages. It's, it is, the kerygma is Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. That's the summary of the kerygma. It's the most fundamental tenet of Christian faith. And if you don't believe Christ died, Christ is risen, and Christ has come again, then, you have fa- then you're not responding to the kerygma. But if you believe that about you in your relationship with Jesus, then everything else falls into place. Now, we'll still be sinners, but you know why you're a sinner. <laughs> yeah. Okay? So, so that's the fundamental. So that is the, that is the challenge to all of us. And that's how you teach and preach. Now, we formally preach... Mo- the vast majority of times, that's reserved to the clergy. So there's going to be initiatives to help them to preach more effectively and to delve into the beautiful meanings of the scriptures, and that's going to be offered next year to the clergy. But Francis says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. That's what we're talking about. So everybody needs to do that. But there's something else that everybody needs to do. And that is everybody needs to struggle with some fundamental questions that lots of people are struggling with. And because they do not have an answer, they do not come to faith. They do not come to worship. And that's what we traditionally call apologetics. So the diocese will be offering a track on apologetics that I want everyone who's listening to avail themselves through the Institute for Catholic Formation, which we used to call the Leadership Institute. Because, you know, it's, it's funny. We could go through life not asking basic questions because we presume we have the answer. But what happens if our presumption is wrong? It leads to consequences that we may not intend, but actually are real. So I'll give a perfect example. A typical question for apologetics is, what's the relationship between reason and faith? Church has always said, we've talked about it, go hand in hand. But what happens if you don't believe that? What happens if you've accepted what the world says, that reason is where truth is, and faith is just the myth you can make up until reason figures out the right answer? If a young person going to a typical high school college if that's what they're being told implicitly, how do they respond to the curriculum of Jesus Christ? But the church has an answer to that, mm-hmm. a very cogent answer to that. That makes perfect sense. We've talked about it. Well, shouldn't Steve Lee, Frank Caggiano, Mr. and Mrs. whoever, 
shouldn't they be able to, if a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 95-year-old says, um, as my mother would say in Italian, in dialogue, I don't understand any of this. <laughs> <laughs> to be able to say, well, let me help you. Yes. Right? Shouldn't we be armed with those answers, all of us? Yes. That's part of what the mission is going to be. Provide everyone those answers. Yep. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And one last thing before we go to break, and that is we do have to make some structural changes. And I'm going to aim specifically at middle school and high school students. We can no longer hold confirmation as ransom, right, for religious ed. We got to engage these young people, their minds, their hearts, their hands, their wills, their recreation, their socialization, and more is going to be coming down on how we're going to reimagine religious formation for them so that they're there because they want to be there and we can engage them so that they remain faithful and active in the life of the church. More about that later. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. The apologetics piece of it is so uh, dear to my heart, <laughs> having studied it for a while and having made sure that my own kids are kind of like ingrained with the reasons for it because, yeah. yeah. And there's one other question I'm just looking at before we break. Yes. If someone came up to you and said, Steve, you want me to believe that a single historic event that happened on a hill in the middle of nowhere, Judea, Israel, in a particular day, month, year, has eternal significance to every planet, every species, for all of creation. How do you want me to believe that that historic event can affect everything that exists? How would you answer that question? And I might ask you for an answer now, but those are the sort of apologetic questions people are asking. Yes. And the yep. church has an answer for that question. Yes. Yeah. But, and, but like you said, it starts first with the witness of your own life. Like where f Peter wrote in his first letter, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you when people ask. But they have to see that hope first. Then they have to ask. All right. So we need to take a break. Um, this is great. Uh, but you're listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network with Bishop Frank Caggiano. And we'll be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency is talking about the pastoral exhortation he issued last week, and uh, there's lots to talk about, so we'll jump right in. Uh, I guess the next section, Excellency, was the, the second task, building communities of faith. Correct. Right. All right. And basically what I want everyone to remember is that the church is most alive in its parishes. That is the local communities. The diocese is a communion of communions. So the diocese exists 
to create a connection between the churches, the parishes, and to provide resources that perhaps an individual parish cannot provide. So this section is all about building up parish life. And I say one thing, if I may just quote one line that I have here. I say, a parish is more than a collection of persons, but it's an organic, diverse family created by grace. So it's a family. And this is the image I want people to think of. Again, because I'm going to start with the things that everyone can do in mission. So one of the things is imagine your parish community being like the family that you try to form in your own house. So you know everyone's name. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's in, involved in a very appropriate way with the struggles and challenges and joys and triumphs of other members of the family, that there's a structure to that family, right? And as I've said many times, this family really walks with each other through life. So why can't our parish be the same way? So I say in my exhortation, why can't we make it our business to find out who sits next to us, get to know their name, do an outreach, simply because that could be the first step of a relationship of friendship that could be built over time. Right. Why, why would we not, in some way, shape, or form, recognize that we should be celebrating the triumphs and pains and sufferings of members of our parish? You can't celebrate everybody's. But that doesn't work that way. Because let's say if you have a family of 12 brothers, there's going to be groupings within those 12. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing in a parish. Mm -hmm. But it's really a change of attitude. So the question I want our, our listeners to think about is, if you had to substitute the word parish with another word, what word would you use? What think, word would you use? I mean, I think people would just say generically community, but I th but it should be family. Yeah, it should be family. I don't think people look at their parishes that way in general. You do or don't think they do? I, I think they don't. And Yet. that's what we're talking about here. Right. That's the point. And yeah. that mindset, I can't force someone listening or reading this to change. They have to decide to change it themselves. Even their pastors can't. But we've spoken about the, the communities of the early church were truly families. Yes. That's how the martyrs were able in peace to go and give up their lives for the Lord Jesus. So how far have we gone from that ideal? And what will it take for us to get back to it? Every parish has to ask that question. And part of what, at the heart of what we do is we worship together. Okay. It's good that we do social service. It's good that we recreate. It's good that we do social events. Yes, but at the heart of this family is to sit with our father through his son in the power of the Holy Spirit and be fed and loved by him. So the celebration of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is the place where all believers need to be invited back to. So if there was an immediate stepping out, it's the ambassadors, it's the synod delegates, and those who are going to read this and say, okay, I need to call my brother, my sister, my daughter, my neighbor, my friend, my coworker, and say, Joe, Harry, whoever you are, <laughs> you used to go to mass before COVID. What's going on? Because we miss you. I miss you. I miss you. Now, talk about a powerful invitation. Yeah. Right? And the sacrifice of the Mass needs to unlock the key, which is the subtext for this whole section, and that's the heart. The heart, the heart, the heart, the heart, the heart. I can't say it enough times. The heart. To touch people's hearts. And we do it a thousand different ways. We could talk about it in so many other ways. It's the reverence. It's the transcendence 
right? It's the, it's the sense of belonging. But the real word we've talked about many times, it's beauty, beauty. Mm -hmm. And part of what I say here is in with the clergy, when we come out of the holy days of Christmas and Epiphany, we are going to gather to have some really hard conversations about the celebration of the sacraments in our parishes. And the question I'm going to ask is, uh, are the experiences reverent? Are they beautiful? Do they allow full participation of the faithful in those celebrations? Because it's not just an intellectual enterprise. And are we offering to our people the full patrimony of the church? You know, the prayers, the novenas, processions, pilgrimages, works of sacrifice, penance. I mean, are we celebrating the seasons of the year where a person knows, yeah, this is Lent, this is Advent, this is Pentecost, this is Easter, right? Are we exploring, are we are making available to our young people and to all of us the beautiful lives of the saints, their heritage, their stories, their customs, their traditions. I mean, I could go on and on and on. It doesn't take a huge amount of work to just put the key in the door and open the door. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, the Mass should be so different from everything else that we're experiencing in our lives uh, from, a, from a sensual perspective the the senses and i loved that you wrote about the mass in in this exhortation and how it should evoke a deep sense of reverence and beauty and that immediately came after when you talked about the sacred heart guild yes right which and the sacred and the sacred heart guild is is the diocesan initiative that is going to be the the if i may the the focal point of initiatives that would be parish-based, diocesan-based, that will explore every aspect of beauty, okay? So it would be sacred music, Gregorian chant. It will teach young people, all right, how to sing polyphony and chant. It will be the resurrection of the diocesan youth choir after COVID. It's going to be experiences to explore the works of art, literature, like the Divine Comedy, mm -hmm. which itself could be a spiritual retreat, right? And works of poetry and literature, even into the modern world. It's going to explore the beauty of sacred space, right? And architecture. Yeah. It's going to do pilgrimage within the diocese, within driving of the diocese, and around the world. Right? It's going to be the works of spirituality and the spiritual masters, of which there are so many in the schools of spiritual life. There's Eucharistic adoration, which is, I mean, do you see my point? All of that should be unlocked. I love it. And that's what the Guild is. And Father Michael Clark is going to be its director. Fantastic. And there'll be an opportunity for people to join the Guild as almost like associate members. Because... Huh, even the fathers of the church, where most of the, of the headline conversions into the church from other Christian churches and communities, the unlocking of the beauty of the writings of the fathers has to be offered to every Catholic. You know, today, there was a book, in fact, today, I, I read, there are excerpts from the Fathers every day. And today is the, is the excerpt from the Confessions, chapter 3, where St. Augustine relates on how St. Monica pleaded with a bishop to go and speak to Augustine to try to convince him that his embrace of Manichaeism, the heresy of Manichaeism, that it was fallacious. And the bishop said, not yet. Pray for him, for as he continues to learn the truth, he will himself discover the error of his position, which he did, and Augustine relates it. But that bishop was involved in his life. That bishop ultimately baptized him. Mm -hmm. so, so I say to myself, that story 
in its beauty encouraged me today because I as a bishop need to learn when to intervene and when to be patient and read the signs of the times. That's an exercise of the heart as much as it is an exercise of the mind. It's much of an intuition than it is a deduction. You see what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then of course there's one other piece of this puzzle and that is there will be a need for parishes to collaborate amongst themselves. So I talk about an unhealthy disconnect, distance that a parish may have with another parish or the parishes nearby or with the diocese. Like we're gonna do it on our own. And my response is no, you can't. There's no parish that has everything it needs that it can do it on its own. And we have to create ways where parishes formally collaborate, perhaps even share personnel so that we can address the needs of our people. More about that. In the, uh, in the next couple of years, more about yeah. that to come. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so then the, the third task you talked about was uh, building bridges of faith and serving the yeah. poor. And, and we've spoken about that for a many, many ways. And it's really kind of a summary. The one thing that I want to highlight is the bridge. And the bridge is the mentoring experience that's going to be offered to young adults. Um, where seasoned, successful business, Catholic business people are going to offer themselves as mentors to young Catholics who are just leaving school to be able to guide them in professional questions they have, give them some business experience, and quite frankly, model for them how you could be both successful and faithful to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Right? And I think that's gonna be an exciting opportunity to kind of link intergenerationally, strengthen the, the structure of the church. But reaching out to the poor, I, to missionaries, to families, we talked about the Paradisus Dei program, we've already spoken about it. There's gonna be so many opportunities to be able to engage people. Yeah. And just go out and reach out. Either it's to the poor or the people who feel they don't belong in the church. And just ask why, and, get, and you be the living bridge yeah. to have them come back. Mm -hmm. The bridge program, I love the idea because, I mean, every, everybody who's watched you uh, as you've been here in Bridgeport knows that you have a, a real heart for young people here in the diocese. Mm -hmm. And it's natural. The first thing that people do is they want to engage the young people by giving them service opportunities, which are important. And you've always talked about linking the service, not just as service, but to, you know, the reasons behind why we do service. But this is a way to engage people who might not even, like, say they want to do service. But every, every young adult wants to become successful. Uh, that, I, I just, I love that. Can I sign up <laughs> to get a mentor? Well, yeah, of course. You should, be, you should be a mentor. It's the other way around, my friend. You should be a mentor. This is the premise I operate out of. To be truly successful and joyful, both. You cannot do it unless you live a virtuous life. Service, as we said, should be an outgrowth of a life seeking virtue. And once virtue is informed with grace, then you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And these mentors are gonna show these younger people that you can be wildly successful and virtuous and a disciple and be both successful and joyful. Not happy always, but joyful. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. should, we, should we touch on uh, Catholic Charities or we don't wanna talk about Mike Donahue? Or <laughs> Mike Donahue is the best of the best. He's right? amazing. No, Charities is doing a phenomenal job. First of all, just Imagine how exponentially need has grown because of COVID. And those people who were struggling before are struggling far worse now because yeah. some of the jobs that they relied on are gone now. They're gone. So Charities has always stepped up. He's doing a phenomenal job to reach out. There will be an even greater push next year to try to get him the resources 
that all of his staff and all the different programs need to, so that these people are not left hanging. You know, the outcasts. They cannot be outcasts. They have to be, uh, if there's such a word, in-cast. They have to be in our midst, and we need to serve them. Yeah. And not because it's a good thing to do, but because it's a commandment of Christ, first and foremost. When you did it to the least of my sister's brother, you did it to me. He didn't say think about it, reflect on it, if you'd like to do it. <laughs> I mean, we can't get anything clearer from the who, who, from who. The Savior and Redeemer, back to the charisma. Yeah, and everybody, everybody looks at what Mother Teresa did and says, wow, that's amazing. Catholic Charities is actually on the ground here in our community doing that work. What the I more doubt. I learn about what they're doing, I'm just what blown I away. But I doubt. Catholic Charities is the largest provider of social services outside the state of Connecticut. Catholic Charities is the single largest provider of psychological counseling for our teenagers, many of whom could not afford it otherwise. They provide hundreds and hundreds of meals in Fairfield County every single day. And our immigration services, which is another group that has been left behind by much of, of a larger society, the, there is a rapid expansion of services, and it has to be expanded even further so that their needs are being met both to make sure their status is compliant with the law and also that their needs are being met while they try to build the foundation of their life. Because the narrative that immigrants come because they want to bilk the system is simply not true for the vast majority of immigrants. Are there some? I'm sure there are. And there are citizens that built the system too. But, but the vast majority of immigrants are coming here to a varying degree of need, in some case desperation, and want to build a life. Yeah. And charities is really assisting them as a bridge to do that. So you talk about apostolic work, that's the apostolic work right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, to bring this back around to the, uh, the early church and, and the apostolic age, you know, Tertullian said uh, of the Christians that you could tell because he said, look at how they love one another. Right. And, right. you know, you, right. finished, you finished the exhortation by saying that all this work begins with uh, an authentic personal life of faith. And yeah, I mean, because we can't give what we first don't have, which is why right. you issued the first right. exhortation in Lent. It, right, right. That's without a doubt. And I think in the end, if a person reads this and says, okay, I'm going to wait and see some of these initiatives like the Guild, the Sacred Art Guild, and you know, the Ambassador Program, and I'm going to wait to see when the bridge is formed, and I'm going to wait and see what the Apologetic Series is going to be looking like and all the rest of it, my response is, good, wait. In the meantime, what are you doing right now? What are we doing right now? Mm -hmm. Whose name are you going to learn at Mass? Right? Let's start with that. Yes. Right? Uh, what opportunity are you going to use online at the Institute for Catholic Formation to learn about your faith deeper? In the end, my, my, my humble premise is just simply to say, the time has come for our culture in the church to change, to think that the mission is for somebody else to do. Yep. Everybody has a role to play in it. Yep. Mm -hmm. So get up, get going. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right. let's, let's take one more break, Excellency. You're listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. We'll be right back with a listener question. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, uh, mm -hmm. uh, this is a great question. So this came in and it says, Bishop Frank, there are four different Masses for Christmas, each with different prayers and readings. Why is this, and is one preferable to the others? Well, the, that's a great question, actually. It's uh, vigil, and then it's uh, night, dawn, and day for Christmas. And the point is, the church... No, the, 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 one is not preferable to the other. So that's the simple answer. But it's almost like a mystery, an event being so important, 
so seminal, so foundational, that the church gives ample, multiple opportunities to explore aspects of that, all united together. So the readings you could tell is from the Christmas story to the coming of the shepherds to the, the prologue of St. John, all exploring the same mystery, right? Yes. So it happens in, in major events, like for example, Pentecost as a vigil and then the actual mass itself. Of course, the triduum is expanded over many days. So it, it's just a function of the enormity of what's being celebrated, right? So there isn't a preference one over the other. And it's, you know, for the priest who is involved with almost all those masses, it's a beautiful way to kind of step back and meditate on really what are we celebrating here? The birth of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should go to all four. <laughs> Well, if you can, <laughs> but chances are you could be involved with family yes, and cooking yeah, and eating right. and all the rest. <laughs> okay. If you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. And we would like to thank Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, uh, are we going to talk before? Well, we'll talk before Christmas, but um, would you, I guess I'll just say then, uh, happy rest of Advent, and would you please give us your blessing? Absolutely. <laughs> in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, your Son, who is the light of the world, has come. Comes to us in Bethlehem. Will come to us in glory. And comes to us each day. In the Eucharist, in the community, in the silence of our hearts. May his light always dispel the darkness around us. And bring us closer to you, who are the source of all of our blessings. And may the blessing of Almighty God, His Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Steve, I will see you for one more ta taping before Christmas. So yes, I look forward so, to it. So I will wish you Merry Christmas next week. <laughs> you got it. All the best to you. God bless. <laughs> <laughs>